Hi, this is Erin, and I'm here with my friend and mentor, Mary Hayes Greco. Hello. Hello. And we are going to record another episode of our Rise and Thrive podcast, which we're doing right this minute. And we're doing this, Mary, right? Because we're going to remind, we are committed to reminding ourselves about all the good self-mastery tools that you teach in your workshop and the forgiveness uh, technique. And that's something that I felt like I really, really needed right now. And so I said, Mary, come on, let's record some podcasts and let's keep my focus on this. Right. It's kind of the equivalent of uh, when someone decides I got to get back to church. Yeah. <laughs> get back to this because I'm going to be a little better if I do. And if I remind myself of the things that are important in my path. Yeah. Yeah. So I really enjoyed our conversation that we had last time about shame. And we were talking about, we centered it on the new documentary called 15 Minutes of Shame, uh, executive producer Monica Lewinsky and director Max Joseph. It's streaming now on HBO Max. And boy, there's a lot there. There's a lot of stories there about people who have been publicly shamed and how social media allows us to have just like complete, I don't know, what do you call it, Mary, when, when the whole world seemingly license, seems <laughs> yeah. license. and that's different than free speech, <laughs> you know, free speech is, is, you know, an important value for us, but there's also the idea of right speech, meaning is your, is your uh, talk, is your speech, are your words, uh, clean are they clean are they affirming the better things and the better intentions in life or are they just dumping just yeah. dumping toxic waste on the <laughs> listener who needs it yeah and I, like, I, I like the title of it of the documentary 15 minutes of shame because it, it starts out with a quote about and i forgot who did it um about how every person in life will, will know 15 minutes of shame and 15 minutes of glory. And in a way it's saying, hey, it's all passing through. But for some people, um, shame becomes installed as a, as a painful self thing that we walk with for years and, and decades. And for some people, they're really identified with their worst moment or their worst characteristics. And um, for other people, you have had a piece of your life that involves shaming and you keep it tucked away and don't tell anyone and every now and then it gets triggered. Mm -hmm. And there you are just feeling like lonely and the, like, the worst person in the world. It's a serious issue. For it is a serious people. issue. Yeah. And the documentary really looks at it as a societal issue and a cultural issue. And I think part of what, what um, you tend to focus on more is the individual who has been, you know, who is walking with shame, as you say, or has had shame installed in them. And then what do they do with that? How do they heal that? And maybe I wanted to talk more about that because um, you said a few things about it last time, but I wanted to dig in more um, to start with. Maybe we could just talk about like, how do you know what your problem that you're dealing with shame? Well, uh, if you haven't named it for yourself, it feels like you're very much alone. You feel isolated from other people and from groups. You feel different, separate weird uh you feel um like hiding hiding away or hiding your real self 
it makes relationships very difficult because in order to have successful relationships we have to feel that we have something to bring to the table and to be able to bring it with some delight mm -hmm. and uh, also in moments of intimacy or moments that could be moments of intimacy really requires that we're able to be transparent and vulnerable with another person or group of people that we can trust that they can see into us and see all the things you know but basically see our goodness and our beauty even though we have all the things we're not perfect we have personality problems we have things that have happened to us um, that made us feel somehow separate or other and uh, if you're caught in shame, you're you're really in the business of hiding your core. You're you're hiding your core self. And uh, in the path that we're discussing on the podcast, the path of the master in training, the path of becoming a soul illumined person, there's there's no room for that. That's uh, it, we need to identify with our very best characteristics and continue to feed them and and bring them forth while knowing while being uh, aware of our flaws and being aware that uh, we have felt broken at certain times and we have felt really cast out at certain times and the people that were on the documentary had been seriously cast out of society's good graces because they had made a mistake you know, an error. <clears throat> and some of those mistakes were just not even real. They were misinterpreted, but the group went crazy and projected all of these, you know, qualities on this person and, and told them they were terrible and, and, and said terrible, venti, hateful things to this person who uh, was very uh, wounded by that experience. Yes, there's sort of, I mean, around the shame, there's shame that gets thrown on people, but there's something else going on with why people maybe want to throw that shame onto them. What, th is it true? Would you say that very often they have their own shame and they're just trying to get rid of it or not feel it? I don't know. I think so. I think so. I think many people struggle with doubt, self-doubt and, and worry that maybe they're just a loser or a bad person or something from time to time and uh, other people are happy and, and these people are happy to like try and push that feeling away push it out of me and throw it over there onto you mm. you you're the problem you're a bad person you're a weirdo you're terrible I'm fine and um, I've been thinking about this since our last podcast because as I said, I, I feel kind of like an expert in shame, haven't uh, recovered from um, some pretty bad stories. You know, this course is my family conditioning and my the conditioning in the schools and church I grew up in that were very happy to tell me that I was a bad person mm. <laughs> and that I should remember that I'm a bad person and that I should work really, really hard to be a good person. You know, that was a conditioning thing, but I went through a couple of things. Um, one I mentioned last time where um, I was um, pregnant at 17. I was an unwed mother in the last 10 minutes of the Victorian era when, when we were sent away in shame and it was hidden and it was, 
you were really um, treated as a bad woman, a bad, bad person. And that was horribly painful. And I, I did recover from it and I did heal from it in a, I would say, glorious way <laughs> in terms of that story. But I was also just reflecting after I worked with someone the other day um, in forgiveness work uh, about the, sh the shame I took on in junior high. <laughs> junior high! Did I, anyway, don't you wish we didn't have to go through junior high? I don't know. For me, it was a horrible experience because I was the weird kid. And I think what I've observed about young people when they're when they hit a certain age, there's like an era that is really about uh, finding out who you are in the group, mm -hmm. finding out uh, about belonging and identity and identify with this group of kids and not that group of kids or uh, you get some of your sense of identity from your group and all these group things start happening in junior high and high school and uh, I, I had the misfortune to uh, be the new kid in a new school in sixth grade and, uh, and a troubled kid because my family was struggling with alcoholism and we looked a little poor and I had buck teeth and uh, I had bad hair and, and nobody to help me with my bad hair. My mother had bad hair too, you know, so I, I was sort of set up to be the weird kid and on the first day of school, the only person who was nice to me was the other weird kid and I didn't have the social conditioning yet to realize I should not buddy up with Mary Lou because people hate Mary Lou. And they're going to think I'm another Mary Lou. I didn't know that. I buddied up with Mary Lou and went to her house. She was the, you know, to play. She was the first nice person to me. And suddenly it's like, oh, you see who the new kid is hanging out with? She's hanging out with Mary Lou. Oh, she is. Well, she does look kind of weird. You know, she's really like, oh, whatever. And then I went through three years of being the one that people liked to trick and pick on and tease and not be. They didn't want, they don't want to be me, you know, so they ganged up and just the misery of, of walking around the playground in lunch hour behind a group of eight girls who were like stuck together like glue and muttering to each other and looking at me and, and, and smirking. And it was terrible. So it sounds, and, and during sounds absolutely time, awful. And, yeah. And it's a developmental time, right? So, uh, what I feel happened to me was uh, my sense of friendliness and basic trust in people. Hi, you know, of course yeah. you're going to like me. <laughs> that was damaged. Uh, my sense of being just, you know, a, a person among people, that was damaged. And it, uh, it affected me for decades or I had to transcend so much shyness and feeling weird uh, to do to be in groups and here I am leading groups <laughs> and my path led me into leading groups early on and I tell you those first couple years of leading groups I sweat and shook and and didn't sleep the night before and died a thousand deaths if I did if I made a mistake you know and because uh, I I didn't want to be shamed I knew well of being I, shamed. Mary, I'm glad to hear that you were friends with Mary Lou because Mary Lou needed a friend. <laughs> Poor Mary Lou. And you're a good friend. Yeah. And I, you know, that was a different era. I don't know how that would be handled these days, how people are feeling around it. But Shifting. thankfully, I mean, 
there were no discussions back then about bullying Mm. and bullying still happens Mm -hmm. and bullying seems to be part of the the human story i was just fred and i my husband and i were noticing because we watch we watch a lot of movies and we were noticing how often the movie has the theme in it of the bully the bully that is uh has got a group of weak people around them Mm -hmm. i'm calling them weak that are following them going yeah 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 and piling in on the meanness that the bully is putting out there and it's a really um common mythic theme in our storytelling that the bully and 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 the um the different person the odd person and very often it's the hero in the movies that was the different person and the odd person and the person that was cast out and um, treated poorly. And so the, so the benefit actually of being the weirdo in a group situation is you have to dig deep into yourself. You have to, you have to find some kind of comfort in your own company and your own solitude. You find a great deal of compassion for the underdog. And I, I don't know anyone who went through shaming in junior high, who isn't a compassionate, kindly person towards other people, other Mm -hmm. shy people or different people or whatever, unless they become a bully, (laughs) unless they go the wrong way, go to the dark side and become the bully. (laughs) Well, and what I'm hearing you describe here is so like one needs to develop a good, strong, healthy sense of oneself uh, regardless of what other people say about them or think about them. And, you know, in this time with social media being so predominant um, and, and the ability, like a lot of our problems are about, do we know who we are without validation from others? Do we, do we feel good about right. who we are? Do we have a true understanding of ourselves as a, as a flawed human being? who's, you know, who's got a plan, who's got a vision for, for what you want to, you know, what you believe in and what you want to, who you want to be. And things to offer in friendship, mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. to offer in, in your good company. So it's, and, and, you know, I think this issue is just with us because we are social animals. We're like dolphins and elephants and uh, wolves and coyotes and creatures that, that uh, run along in groups and that find their, overall safety and sense of belonging and a sense of orientation by being part of a tribe, being part of a group. So that's us. It's going to be us. And it's, it's just, it's just to be hoped that those of us who went through the journey of being the, the odd one, the cast out one will have dug deep and found our, our, our way with groups again, because it's just uh, it's just a thing of who we are, and I think it's in a way it's almost uh, what's the word? It's almost unavoidable, because one of the ways that groups know who they are is by knowing who they aren't, and they say who we, who they are and who they aren't in a hundred different ways. And so how do you know you're in a group? Oh, well, I'm with this person and these five people, and I'm not with that person. That that makes me part of this group, and that's part of my identity. So, oh, I uh, see what you're saying. Yeah. Yes, and, and even I, I, I notice this in because I teach groups. I notice that, you know, in order for those marvelous things to happen, the group has to come together mm-hmm. and bond. 
the group has to bond as a group. And you've seen this yeah. how many times, Aaron, in my workshops, where Friday night in the Forgiveness Weekend, we have 15 strangers sitting in a circle, and they don't know if they belong, and they don't know if they like these people, and they don't know if they can really share. And it's all very kind of nervous and tentative on Friday night. And I do all of my little tricks <laughs> Friday night and Saturday morning to help people feel comfortable and find other people that are uh, like them. And we do this silly mixer thing where like, okay, everyone who needs coffee in the morning, jump in the circle. Everyone who has a dog they love, jump in the circle. So they find the, oh, what kind of dog do you have? They start, you mm -hmm. know, seeking the commonalities. People are very eager to to feel our, our commonality. And, and it's amazing how quickly and deeply a group will bond. And in the longer program where I'm with a group for a year, uh, there's there's a time at which, I don't know, it's like two or three months in, where people start saying things out loud about, you know, this is a really special group. Mm. You know what? Ah, wow. I mean, because this group, wow, I feel so lucky I found this group. Yeah. And people start naming, needing to say, my group is special. This yeah. group is so special that I'm going to really really buy in i'm going to really offer myself and i'm going to trust these people and it's kind of funny because i just did a group um a month ago 15 strangers in a church a day-long workshop at the end of the day the group was it was a group it was very solid it was a circle and some of the people had never gone to such a workshop before and they were like i didn't know people could be so nice mm. i didn't know people could listen so well I didn't know there was so much compassion in people. This group is special. And they're saying that, and I'm thinking, you know what? <laughs> they're all special. They're all special, but the group needs to feel like it's special. And part of what we do in junior high and other, other ways and places is to say, I am this because I am not that. You know, and people do that around their political affiliation, around other group things. Like, we are not that we are mm -hmm. this so it's kind of it's kind of a, a dilemma in a way because it really is it, it is it's woven into how we are it and is it's a social fabric thing that we yeah. do and but like i think we've, it's hopeful that we're starting to name bullying as not a good thing yeah i for sure bullying is not a good thing and i i think so coming back around to to you know being a master in training in the classroom of your life part of the approach of that isn't to go around and try to convince every bully not to be a bully. Rather, it's to make yourself bully-proof. Mm. And how do you do that? Well, you get to know yourself. You, you understand kind of your strengths, your weaknesses, you know, so that it's not something used against you, you know, that you're trying to hide. But you, you were talking about um, when we, when we were reviewing, we were responding to the film about how, when people get shame installed in them and then it, they start thinking that's who they are rather than rather that's than who they truly are. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that and talk about how you uninstall that. That's a terrible problem. And it's uh, it's at the root of so many personal and social ills. So, and you know, you find anyone uh, who grew up physically or sexually abused, are, are likely full of shame because when we are defenseless and vulnerable to adults or other people that 
had more power than us, um, we got hurt and damaged and we we took in and on the idea that for some reason, uh, some reason I deserve that or some reason people thought they could do that to me or they, I, I don't know, we, we take it in and, and take it on. So um, the feeling of shame can be a, a singular thing, like I described the junior high thing, and it just comes out every now and then if you have to be with a group. Um, but even in those cases, even I think the people that survive this well are the ones that find a group somehow. They find a, even if it's a group of two, you and your best friend, or a group of three, you and your best friend and that satellite person, you feel like there's some sense of knowing you and, and belonging to you. So, but if you don't have any evidence, uh, you don't have enough option, like say you're in a tiny town and you don't have a, or a tiny school, and there's not like a bunch of different groups you could, you know, move, move among and find a different one, like schools of fish, uh, then it's, it can get kind of, um, like concrete inside you that hardened in yeah yeah that this is just true and and this is a terribly painful state and a lot of people turn to addiction um to just to medicate the the daily pain of being me you know and i i feel better about me i feel more confident when i'm a little drunk or uh if i you know use cocaine and suddenly life is fun and it hasn't been fun for a long time so we can fall into um, the um, problems of addiction if we're just in too much daily pain about the self. So, I don't yeah, know. and I just want to say, you know yeah. about this because you've done so much healing work, so many healing workshops in uh, recovery treatment centers. treatment centers. Yeah, so yeah. you're like, okay, you walk in and there is a bunch of people who are really they feel uniquely flawed and uniquely <laughs> alone it's so funny you're in a group of you know 18 people who all feel alone and all feel uniquely flawed and like nobody's going to understand their pain because it's just so terribly unique so they call it in the program they call it terminal uniqueness because it could kill you if you if you don't uh if you don't uh learn to uh love yourself and come out and share yourself with other people because we are social animals we have to do this this is part of part of being healthy so um and then the road out of shame i don't know i i, I think for me it was helpful that i knew i had a strong soul and i knew that my soul was not afraid she's she's really a badass my soul is really like totally unafraid of everything and um and joyful and funny and creative and that's that's who i am you know, in my essential self. And I had enough, you know, I had a couple of relatives that spent time with me. I, I learned to draw. Uh, I, I read books. I wrote poetry. I found ways of, of affirming myself and being affirmed to some way until uh, when I met my teacher, Edith, at age 32. Uh, I was at a women's retreat. There was about 90 women there and three teachers and you know some workshops and and I, I was deep in shame at the time because I remember kind of skulking around and like hiding in my room for periods of time because <laughs> groups are so scary I was in my cabin and, and my my roommate kind of coaxed me out to lunch and I just really thought I was just uniquely different than these other 90 women and but that's where I met my teacher who was walking in such a state of calm 
delighted grace. And God bless her. She was also a strong soul, um, but she grew up in a healthy family and she had a healthy, uh, a successful journey through life. And she was 76 when I met her and she had just loads of um, just uh, happy stuff. Not, not that she it didn't have stuff happen, stuff happens. But anyway, I, I, I just began to follow her around like a baby goose following a mother goose <laughs> and trying to learn how to be a goose, you know, mm-hmm. and, and thinking, I'm just, I, I'm just going to be with you. And in the first workshop she taught, the forgiveness workshop, I, I began to, uh, to realize, oh, wow, you know, I feel this weird and bad because some bad things have happened to me. And if I can heal these bad things, these 25 bad things that I have listed that have caused me to feel terrible, if I could heal them, I maybe I can be my soul. Maybe I can be that person I wish to be. So I, it, it was a great, great fortune. And I think people have that experience when they meet the right therapist or the right uh, 12-step sponsor or the right best friend or mentor that sees you, sees you the light of your soul in inside you, despite the fact that you're skulking around in fear of people, they can see you and help you come out. Wow. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think, you know, I remember, I remember hearing you talk about that first meeting with Edith and you, you took some workshops, you know, subsequent workshops, and then you really committed to the idea that forgiveness was the main healing tool for you, the, the main healing technique modality in your life. I took to it like a duck to water. I, I, I was in love with the experience of that lightening up that happens when you forgive something. And I found that I was able, because I have a, a big ocean of compassion I walk with because I've had so many hard things happen to me. I, I felt so much compassion for other people who are caught in a piece of pain that I got past my own shyness to help them. Mm. And so uh, that, that healing path of my desire to be of service and help others helped me every single time. And that's another thing that helps us know who we are. And we find uh, those things that we are good at and that help other people. Yeah. So we kind of find, find what are our gifts and then we're sharing them and we feel purposeful in our lives and it gives us a sense of meaning and all of that is great because that helps us not feel, you know, like none of this makes sense or everything's, you know, everything's falling apart or people are terrible. Yes. No, but, but as you do forgiveness work and you've experienced this, I know, Mm Erin, because you've been very, very passionate and diligent about doing forgiveness work for, I think eight years now, Um, every time you do it, you dispel and dissolve some of the heavy, darker, um, sad energy that's been weighting you down and you bring in more of your, the light of your soul into your core. So it's, um, I like to say that shame is a case of mistaken identity. We've been identifying with our core as though like, wow, if people really knew who I was, they would hate me, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that I'm bad at core. You're not. And even our, our religious, our theology, I think in the way it's been misunderstood 
has taught us you you know you original sin you you were born bad <laughs> you need a ritual to get a little bit less bad and we'll baptize you and then you need to work really hard to try and be a good person it's a whole framework a huge framework in western culture that's been transforming in the last 30 40 years where people are saying well wait a minute maybe i'm not bad at core maybe i'm good at core maybe it's original blessing and every time that um uh I, as, as I got into uh, the forgiveness work and realized his power, I thought, wow, there's nothing holding me back. It's really up to me. Mm -hmm. I can heal myself and I can master this gig. I'm going to master this life gig as Mary. Well, for some reason, these things happen to me on my journey, but I'm going to turn it into light. Here I go. So, uh, and it wasn't easy. It's not easy to face into some of those most painful stories, but as you heal one after another, you get more confident, more confident that you are good and that there isn't anything that's going to ultimately hold you back or, or define you in a, in a negative way. Yeah, that's, thank you for, for sharing all that, Mary. I know um, you have uh, done an awful lot of healing in on different stories in your life. And um, some of them you share publicly and some of them you don't, which is your choice, of course. But um, it's pretty remarkable when you think of all the different ways your life could have gone. And yet it, you, be, you are, uh, you know, a, a very skilled teacher in forgiveness, helping people experience the miracle of forgiveness all the time. I mean, it's, it's pretty astounding. That's right. And I feel, I just feel really uh, fortunate in uh, my spiritual connections and how I've been led out of this, out of this dark valley, lonely valley by myself to into a space of, you know, fabric of, of many beautiful people and a, a light, a life that is light and fortunate. Well, I, you know, going back to the film, cause I've been, you know, I've watched it a couple of times and I've been thinking about it quite a bit. It, it feels like it's sort of the beginning of the story that we collectively are going through right now in our walk with social media and what's possible. And the fact that there are a number of people who are going through things and then just having the, the fortitude to make their way through it and get to the other side, they're kind of the leaders in this. And I think a lot of the people that were whose stories were shared in that in 15 minutes of shame are, are those people, including Monica Lewinsky. She, you know, is kind of amazing how she has worked with her story and, and healed herself and continued on. And, you know, I am moved by that. And a lot of times when, when we have different things that have gone on that are part of our, maybe our shameful past, we can get triggered you know, so we hear about someone else's story and it brings up our own shame. But I think that's an opportunity for healing. I think it is. And I, I love her for being, <laughs> for doing this. Oh my God. I couldn't believe it when I first heard it. Really? She's coming out as a, as a thought leader. Well, yeah. Really? Uh, but, but, you know, as soon as I hear her name, I hear bimbo in my head because that was installed. Well, maybe you got to reframe that, Mary. Oh, I'm good. I, I am in the process of that. I'm sorry, Monica. I am so sorry. <laughs> really, I'm so sorry. I, I just I just bought a look, look hook line and sinker. Just as many women have been slut shamed 
uh, in in life and on social media, and that's that's a way of really getting a woman, you know, mm -hmm. is oh, and it's it's so private and so it's so core, and yet she, apparently she has really healed that that terrible story. And I was struck by the, just the few minutes I saw of her doing a TED talk um, that it seems like she has compassion for herself. She yeah. has compassion for her young self, mm -hmm. you know, a, a, and a, a, a girl who was, you know, really excited, um, you know, to be in such an amazing position mm -hmm. in, in her, in her career path and in right next to the biggest names of power in the world. And, and so young mm -hmm. <laughs> and maybe like many, um, women and men who are, uh, weak towards sexual predation, maybe she didn't uh, get enough attention in her life. Maybe she didn't get enough self-validation growing up. And so she was, you know, um, subject to, oh, wow, wow, I'm getting attention. I'm special. But I, I had a teacher once who said something that applies here. And he said, when all of our circumstances are taken into account, when everything is taken into account, that includes your uh, your family situation, your genetics, your ancestry, your uh, place of birth and opportunities that were and were not there, etc. Take all the things, the things that happen to you. Everyone is doing the best that they can. Yeah. Everyone is doing the very best that they can. And uh, that's, that's kind of a radical thing to think it you is know, we want to think there are things that are morally wrong and mm -hmm. there are mm -hmm. on a certain level but uh i think if we have been morally off base but we are able to uh, still be seen as a, a a human on a path that can be redeemed there's plenty of time and and, and an opportunity to redeem yourself as Monica has shown people then mm -hmm. and, and if we have compassion for our weakness in the past or our uh, ignorance in the past like uh, is it Maya Angelou who said when we know better we do better uh, there's things we didn't know in the past and and ev everyone is better than their worst action everyone is better than their worst characteristic we have to be able to see the good in ourselves and each other as a way of stepping onto a path of mastery and light yeah yeah and i mean that is the human condition we don't know what we didn't know i mean we always don't know there's always more to know we always have blind spots and so in the forgiveness work that you teach with the especially the um self-forgiveness tools the, the the way of learning to forgive yourself for things that is super important because it allows you to have that kind of compassion for yourself even your flawed um human mistaken dumb if you don't mean cruel so, yeah, yeah all the yeah. all the different things that we that we do as humans and i know that has been super important in the forgiveness work that i've done with you where when I've actually taken an issue that I feel, you know, something where I didn't act in the way that I would have hoped I would, or I, you know, in, in retrospect, you see, God, I was just, I was terrible, you know, or I was, I was mean, or I, I didn't 
look out for myself or I didn't look out for others. You know, I, I didn't meet my own expectations. And when you finally bring that to the steps of forgiving yourself and you open up to spirit, to it's it's kind of amazing because you open up to deep compassion for the human condition, compassion for yourself, and then compassion for others. It's just, you grow in that. And mm-hmm. that way you don't have to just spend all your energy trying to delude yourself into, <laughs> you know, Pretending like you're okay when you're not. You right. And, and hiding your true self. Yeah. And, and I, I feel in my experiences of the self-forgiveness um, exercise and the um, healing experience that happens with that, I just feel like, like spirit, our soul, God, uh, that spiritual level is vastly patient mm. with us. It's just vastly patient and is very happy to accept us and love us and teach us. You know, we we need to be taught sometimes mm-hmm. on the way to being our best selves. Yeah. So that is what you have called the soul illumined personality. And when we're connected with our souls and when we have more and more of our soul's energy embodied, in our form, our physical form, uh, we feel better. We feel lighter. We feel uh, in flow. Mm-hmm. We feel open to new experiences and new people. We feel safe. Uh, it's it's really being at home. Really being at home in yourself to be uh, soul connected. And the uh, soul illumined personality concept, which um, I got from the body of work called psychosynthesis, uh, holistic psychology. It's it's akin to the idea of enlightenment in yoga philosophy. It's akin to the idea that uh, we have to uh, work with ourselves to dispel that the darkness and density and uh, ignorance that a lot of us are are just with, and to bring more and more of that light and that truth inside us and the soul illumined personality is a is a citizen of the universe (laughs) it's you have a sense of belonging you have a sense of belonging to everyone and everything Mm. cool great well uh this was a great conversation mary i appreciate the follow-up here talking more about shame and forgiveness and um Yeah, I have a feeling that that we'll come back around to this more and more as we continue our journey here. I love it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.